If you're someone who has a passion for cut flowers, our environment, and wants to make the world more beautiful, you're in the right place. Whether you're growing flowers for pleasure or profit, I'm on a mission to empower flower enthusiasts and professionals to help change the world around them. Whether you're just starting out and need a helping hand, or are looking to scale a substantial flower business, I'm your cut flower woman. Welcome to the Cut Flower Podcast. Hello, and I'd love to welcome our guest today, Caroline Beck. And I came across Caroline through Instagram. So, Caroline, tell us a little bit about you, what you do, and how did you get into this mad world of flower farming? Oh, it is a mad world. It is a completely mad world. Okay, I think I got into flower farming in a very similar way to lots of other people. Um, I had been a working mum for a long time, which is the hardest job in the world, I think. And then um, about eight years ago, uh, one of my daughters had already gone off to university and the other one, mercifully, was just about to leave home as well. I hope they're not listening to this. (laughs) Um, And I suddenly thought, actually, I've got quite a lot of time because I'm not bashing about, you know, being a working mum anymore. So that's really good. And at that point, an opportunity came up for me to grow cut flowers. Okay, so that is quite a big leap. I had been, for the previous 20 years, a gardening journalist. So I'd worked for Gardens Illustrated, House and Gardens, anything with garden in the title. Wow. Okay, so I'd had a really good 20-year apprenticeship. I mean, really fantastic. I've been to see garden designers, plants people. Um, you know, just wonderful, wonderful people with lots of kind of interesting things to say. And um, so that was the kind of background. Anyway, one night I was at a place up in Northumberland um, and the farmer and his wife and just outside the back of their farm, their land, they had this sort of market garden that wasn't being used. Anyway, drink had been taken by me. And I said on a complete whim, um, can I grow cut flowers there without even thinking about it? I don't know why I wanted to do that. I'd grown quite a lot of flowers on my allotment, which I'd also had for 20 years. And I thought, I can do this. And um, much to my surprise, they said yes. And so I then went back and I spoke to my partner and I said, uh, look, the girls are up and, you know, just about to leave home. Um, and I kind of need something new. Um, and so I'd really like to do this. And I hadn't investigated the economics of it. Um, I didn't have a chiropractor on speed dial at that point, which is definitely what you need. I hadn't really thought about any of it because at that point I thought that the most difficult thing about flower growing was growing flowers. Um, the easiest thing about flower growing is growing flowers. That's the really easy part of it. The really hard part of it is marketing them as I'm sure everybody listening to this would know. So I hadn't really investigated that. So I started growing, and and I kind of knew what I was doing. I bought, I don't know, 30 packets of seeds or something. That was really easy, got them all going. That was fine. Then I tried to sell them, and and I did it on like a little farmer's market. Um, People were walking past and going, oh, your flowers are really lovely. And I was sort of standing there with this richest grin on my face going, well, why don't you buy them then? And nobody wanted to buy my flowers. Nobody. And at that point, I thought, this is a really bad idea. Um, Anyway, I kept going. 
um, with lots of support and encouragement and everything. And then at the end of that season, the farmer and his wife had a big uh, fallout. And so I was evicted. Um, well, I kind of went because I could see the way that things were going. That was from my first piece of land, which I'd been on for a year. Then I moved to a kind of very windy farm, which I rented uh, a piece of land which had previously been a goat field. So you can tell the quality of the land. And also in County Durham, it's all ex-mining land. So the soil is about two inches thick. It was very windy, very exposed, very tough. I was there for about five years. Um, and then we wanted to expand and we couldn't expand on that piece of land. It wasn't an option. So then I moved to the wall garden, uh, Victorian wall garden, which sounds absolutely idyllic, doesn't it? And it looks you know, idyllic. It, yeah. it should have. Oh, it looks idyllic. Yeah, it does. Um, when I first took it on, it didn't look quite so idyllic. It was like wayside weeds. Um, and at that point, I was 56 and I thought, I felt great, actually. I thought, I'm going to do this. Who is ever, ever, ever going to offer me a wall garden again? Nobody. So I took it on and we moved all our stuff from the windy field, uh, uh, the ex-goat field, and we moved there and then COVID hit. <laughs> and then all my business dropped out, like so many others, other businesses dropped out as well. And so we kind of struggled through 2020, um, got our act together in 21. Um, had the best year ever financially in 2022. And then um, we're looking at being evicted again. Joy. So it looks like my business has just had a kind of final crash for the third time. Third time. Oh, my goodness. Um, that's some challenges you've had to overcome. You've done it once. You've done it twice. You've done it the third time. Um, I did read that you'd overcome another challenge and thought, I can't believe this. Um, most people would have that once, but not three times. So what's next? Yeah, I'm beginning what's to think it's me. What's next? What are you going to do? <laughs> well, okay, so there's there's a couple of things, okay, is that actually this this kind of, it well, sort of forced eviction, really. I can't really talk too much about it because there, there are police involved. So I have to be a little bit careful about what I can say. So it really wasn't great. But the thing about this is, it's not really what happened to me that is kind of of interest, really. I think I went into, I've just worked my socks off for the last eight years. I've worked really, really hard. As everybody who's a flower grower who's listened to this will know, it's really hard work. And um, over the last three years, trying to keep it going with COVID and everything else, um, you kind of go into a spiral and you, you're just running to stand still. So although we had a great year financially last year, at the end of it, I was absolutely on my knees. And I sort of didn't recognise how exhausted I was because you're just going, you're just like a hamster on a wheel. And so when this particular incident happened, I just kind of, it was like hitting a wall at 60 miles an hour. Um, and in many ways, it might have done me a favour because it forced me to stop. And what happened was I was so exhausted. I, I did something which I've never done in my life. I, I went to bed for three days between Christmas and New Year. And what a party girl I was. And, uh, and I thought, well, first of all, I thought, God, what am I going to do now? Because I've literally got no income. The second thing was I've got to phone up all these brides and say I can't do their flowers and I can't do this and I can't do the other. Uh, that was bad because I hate letting people down like most people do. 
Um, and I thought, how am I going to get another income? And I, I also thought, God, I've sunk eight years of my life into creating this business. And now it's gone. And it felt like a bereavement. It was bad. Yeah. Anyway, I have to say there's quite a lot to be said for staying in bed for three days because it does allow you, especially in winter, because it does allow you to kind of have a really deep think about what you're doing. And the conclusion I reached was that actually over the last year, I haven't been that happy. I've just been incredibly madly busy. And I've just been sort of repeating maybe the things that used to give me quite a lot of joy, which is the growing. But actually, I got a little bit bored of the stuff that I was growing because I was growing every year. And I would say I've got quite a butterfly mind. Um, And I like new things. I I do. I definitely like new things. And I hadn't realized how stale that I'd become. And I had become really stale. So what I have decided, because I run the business with my daughter, that was kind of a product of COVID. Because she joined me in the business and and actually she's a good grower. She's she's good at this stuff. And so what we've decided is that she is going to take over the business and I'm going to be her grower. Because that's what I like doing. I like growing. Um, And that's what we're going to do. Uh, Currently, we're looking for new land. Um, But the thing that was quite a shock is that when I was in bed having this sort of gorgeous three-day pity party, thinking, what am I going to do? I put out a little post on Instagram, a bit kind of gloomy, you know, northern gloom, saying, oh, God, I've lost it all. You know, it's quite dramatic. Anyway, and being Instagram, you just expect it to be like throw that pebble into the water and (laughs) just not echo back to you. But actually loads of people got in contact with me privately with much worse stories than me. So the kind of bigger issue here is it's not what happened to me, but what happens if you rent land you own land you've got some security and I accept that that brings stresses of its own but if you rent land that can bring all kinds of problems because inevitably you go into that thinking yeah 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 I'll make this work right I will make this work and then all kinds of things happen I heard from a woman who um she was perfectly happy with the landlord a new landlord took over And then over the course of that year, he denied her access to uh, water, um, parking. Um, She came in and she found her gates padlocked. And he didn't evict her, but he evicted her by proxy, really, because she couldn't get access to the land. And that was just one of many, many stories, not just from flower growers, but from all kinds of people who have to rent land in order to make a living. And that is a really big issue because I think particularly with a sort of passion project like this you go into it and you think I will make this work I will do it by sheer will and in the end sheer will is just not enough you know it really helps to have a watertight contract and even then you know even if you've got a watertight contract you can that your landlord can still make it really difficult if not impossible for you so that's kind of where we were at. Um, and I say in this sort of three days that I was lying in bed thinking, what am I going to do now? All these things that I hadn't been able to think about and consider because I've just been working too hard. You know, I really had to take a close, hard look at them. And actually, that was a good thing to do. It was a really good thing and beneficial thing to do. 
Stay with us. We'll be right back. The small business. Do reels get you reeling? Is SEO just a three letters put together? Content planning something you know you should be doing, but just never get round to it. Do join our growth club online. What is it? It's a supportive community. It's all about growing your business. It provides trainings and guest speakers join us every month. Is it time to work on your business and not in it? The link for more information is in the show notes. Yeah, because I think with flower farming, you're running from one day to the next. Your seeds, you're sowing, you're putting them out, you're growing. I've put this market, I'm doing this wedding, I'm doing this funeral, I'm doing some DIY buckets. Oh, oh and by the way, I must do some marketing because actually if you don't do 60%, I think 60 or 70% of a flower farmer's success is in marketing, actually. I think you can, people worry about the growing and will I have enough and what happens if I haven't got this and that and what happens if it's not that. You can always find that. The biggest problem is if you haven't got anyone to sell it to, then you're not selling anything. And I think that's the hardest thing because a lot of flower farmers are not marketeers. Um, I am, fortunately. My background is the marketing director, so I'm fortunate in that. But I know loads of people who aren't. And therefore, you know, what would they know about Facebook advertising and Facebook groups and running workshops online and doing local marketing and running podcasts and writing a book and all of the other things that you need to do to be visible as a flower grower. It's tough. I also think that's changed quite a bit as well, because when I went onto Instagram, like a lot of flower growers, so that was probably five years ago or something, maybe six years ago. The thing about COVID is that time has shrunk yeah. and contracted <laughs> and shrunk. Know. It's very difficult to actually... You know, you say three years ago, and you think, no, 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 it wasn't three years ago, because that was like the black hole that we all disappeared into. So probably about five or six years ago when I went onto Instagram, because things were, you know, without wishing to sound like a, a kind of old lady, things were different, but they were different because um, it was a much smaller community, and the people that I engaged with there, um, they they kind of really wanted to know about it, whereas the algorithms now, Unless you are completely, you know, you're putting stuff out there all the time, uh, and I mean all the time, in the right way, then the engagement has just gone down and down and down. So I think one of the things that, you know, a lot of people are deciding now is that how to do, you know, how to really connect with your customers in a kind of very direct way. And that actually is more to do with newsletters and stuff like that. That seems to me to be a much more kind of sensible way of doing it because it's person to person. And in a way, that is, I mean, ironically, because I now haven't got a business, um, what happened when I was lying in bed and I suddenly thought, God, I've got no income. That is really scary. But I'm resourceful and I'm tenacious. And, um, and I've been a writer for 20 years, a professional writer for 20 years. And I had um, a Substack account, a dormant Substack account. And I'd heard about Substack which is a you know very kind of clean website. They don't mine all your data. They don't do any advertising. It's just a platform for good writing, really good writing. Came from America, and it's you know catching on here as well. Anyway, I set up a Substack account in 2020, thinking same thing. Uh, you know my my business is tanked. Um, what am I going to do? But actually, I was busier in 2020 than I think I've ever been. So it just <laughs> sat there dormant. 
So between Christmas and New Year, I thought, where's that Substack account? I know it's here somewhere. So I kind of went and did a deep dive into my computer. And there it was, sitting like a little kind of orphan. And I thought, right, okay, I'm going to get it going because actually I, I, I need an income and I need to write my way out of this. I kind of needed to do it for my self-esteem um, and I needed to have something to do because my hands are not good being idle. They're just not. It's not good for me. It's not good for my head. Anyway, so I set up the Substack thing. Um, I did lots of the behind the scenes thing, which was sort of not fantastically easy, but it was okay. Uh, the writing was fairly easy because that's what I've been doing for a long time. And then I looked at it and thought, this is fine. And then I thought, who do you think you are, right? Who on earth do you think you are? <laughs> who do you think is going to be interested in you running a flower farm? Or, well, well, basically, you establishing a business, you're running a business, and then you're losing a business. I mean, it sounds like something from Reginald Perrin or something. And I just completely lost my nerve. Well, I'm asking people to pay for this for £5 a month. And I'm thinking, you can get Netflix for £7 a month. What are you doing? You know, you, what, why are you asking people to pay £5 a month? No one, literally no one is going to be interested. So I, I didn't press the publish button. Anyway, um, I kind of looked at the bank balance on the 2nd of January and thought, God, I've got to do something. But I was actually applying to supermarkets to become a delivery driver, right? That's what I was doing. And I thought, okay, I'll give this a go because if I get five um, subscriptions at £5 each a month, that's £25 that I don't have to find. And £25 will go to pay some of my fuel bill, right? That's really good. So I thought I'm going to do it. Anyway, so on Wednesday, the 3rd of January, I pressed publish, went out for the whole day. And when I came back, I had 50 subscriptions and my partner almost fell over. And I've got about, so it's been going for, I think we're on episode three and I've got 150 subscriptions. So that has been a game changer. Okay. Not only has it got me out of a deep financial hole, um, which was pretty scary, but it has been really good. To write it down because I feel like I've got something to write. Um, and it got me out of a deep emotional hole as well because the fact was that when I lost the garden, it was like a grief. It was like a grief because no matter how much you say to yourself, right, you're renting, so don't get involved, you know, you know you're you know you're always renting that you're never going to own it, right? However, the minute you start getting your hands grubby and you start breaking your back over that land, you are invested. Because if you weren't invested, you wouldn't do it. It's just too much like hard work. And so no matter how much I told myself, okay, I'm never, I'm just the custodian for this amount of time. Yeah, I could tell myself that, but I don't think I really believed it. So when I got effectively kicked out, it was like uh, the kind of worst divorce has ever been. And at that point, all I could think of was what I had lost. In writing it down, I'm now thinking what I had. And what I had was a lot, okay. Um, and having run it through COVID, because 
At the beginning of COVID, it was one business. It was effectively a wedding business, which is a bit mad. I mean, growing flowers for growing your own flowers for weddings is a bit like running a restaurant and only um, growing, you know, food out your back garden that you're going to put in the restaurant. It is a bit insane, but I loved it. I did love it. But then in COVID, because we were like so many other people just forced to do that awful word pivot, um, we uh, we did subscription flowers when things eased up a bit. We did little tiny workshop. We did everything. We did everything to keep it going. And the kind of unintended consequence of the COVID thing was that loads of people came down that garden And I think there wasn't one single person who came to that garden or who has come to that garden in the last three years who would say, nah, that's been a waste of time. I think everybody who came down, I'm pretty confident about saying this, only found it beneficial because it was a beautiful space. And I built a good community. I definitely did build a good community. And I felt, and maybe I still do feel a bit sad that that's gone, but the Substack thing which uh, is called dirt because actually that's how I felt I felt like dirt when I just lost it all and that made me feel really bad the thing about dirt is that I'm rebuilding that community and it's in real time right so I'm writing it and I'm getting comments back in real time and the comments are are good they're 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 good comments they're not like oh yeah this is great it's like I connected with that. And I think that's what I was trying to do in the garden. I was just trying to get some connection. I I wrote a book by mistake, by complete mistake. I haven't been in publishing or writing or anything, and my writing isn't great. It's okay because I wrote a book. And I wrote a book called Seed to Vars, and it was all about COVID, actually, because I was teaching in that time people to have their own cut flower gardens online. We did an eight-month course have your own cut flowers. We took them, trained them tr- twice a week. We did Q&As, guest speakers, the whole thing. Massive amount of content over eight months. In fact, we do it every year. We're just about to go into our third year. But with that, what I learned more than anything was that it wasn't about the cut flowers and it wasn't about me. It was about them and how humbling it was. Their stories in this book was about, you know, maybe they were bereaved. Maybe some had lost, one person had lost a child. One person had MS. One person had lost a parent. This wasn't about growing cut flowers. This was about their lives and how they change by the result of growing cut flowers. And that's quite humbling. And I think once you realise you've built this community, which you have through Dirt, which is a community of connection, it's, it's a different world. And then that I think that's what you wake up to. It isn't really about the flowers. It's just about something much more than that. I think the flowers actually are just a conduit to that. I think that it, it sort of could be anything, really. And, you know, when I started eight years ago, I really did think it was all about the flowers. Um, and it, it's just it's just not. And it's become less about that in a way. They were just the, the, the product. I think the really interesting thing for me is, was the process, because everything was fl- uh, sort of thrown up in the air. And you're right, those people that were coming during COVID, their stories were humbling, absolutely humbling. And the support that we had locally kept us going. It kept us going financially, but it also kept us kind of emotionally afloat as well, um, because we were obviously all so completely devastated by this. It was hard to see an end to any of it. But just knowing that people were kind of coming through the gate and and getting the kind of 
uh, mental as well as physical freedom that they needed for that day. And that what they found there would continue, would continue. Um, and that made me feel good, really. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not sort of, um, how can I put it? I'm, I don't think I was doing anything extraordinary. I, I really don't think I was doing anything extraordinary. I was just opening the gates of that garden saying, come in. Yeah. You know, it was it was a lovely sort of big garden safe and everything. Um, and but I got an enormous amount of um, satisfaction and pleasure from seeing how much good that place did for them. So when it when I lost it, I thought that's all over. Well, of course, it is over. It is over because that garden probably won't be used now. Um, but but I am building that other community via dirt um, even though my partner says it sounds like an Irvin Welsh novel, <laughs> minus the hard drugs. But, you know, I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying that enormously because I think that I can recreate something of that garden in um, in print. And I also record it as well. So if reading's not your thing, then, you know, you can listen to me reading it as well. It's good. It's good. I'm enjoying it. I will be subscribing. I have got a sub. What is it? Sub what count is it called? It's called Substack. So I will be finding you and subscribing and following you because I think good writing in this space is lovely. I think, why not? I think I encourage other people to do it. And I, your learnings are enormous. And it's everything from failure, and failure's fine, not being a perfectionist, so it'll never as a flower farmer be perfect. The fact that we've kind of got to live in the present because we don't know what tomorrow or yesterday did. It's just we're growing today or we're writing today. And I think there's so many learnings that we can learn from. And I think that's the big thing about cut flowers and cut flower farming. And it's like you say, it's not all about the flowers. It's quite interesting. It's all about something completely different. It is. It's all about the process. I mean, I spoke to a friend of mine who was, you know, hugely instrumental in uh, encouraging me and supporting me. She's a, a great old friend. She, she, I used to work a lot with her. She was a, a photographer. When I used to work for Gardens Illustrated, and she's a fantastic photographer, she's got a great eye. And I was talking to her uh, recently about, you know, what had happened and everything. And she said, and, and this was very profound what she said, and I, I totally agree with her, but it, it, it took me a while to see it. She said, in, in a way, this eviction might have done you some good because you have had to stop because that walled garden, working in that walled garden was like, you know, the best class A drug you'd ever had, right? You were not going to walk away from it. It was addiction. It was addiction. And it was a kind of beautiful addiction. And so effectively, I've gone cold turkey. Yes. <laughs> and that's what it felt like. It felt like that. It felt really, really painful. And I had sort of withdrawal symptoms for all kinds of, you know, reasons. And I thought, I, I can't let it go. But of course, you have to let it go. It's, it was never going to be mine. But what has been mine is the is the experience of the last few years, and that's what I'm stick. That's what I'm putting. That's what I'm writing about in dirt, and I'm yeah. kind of recreating it. The other fantastic thing, um, actually, about stopping is that you know I want to put the photographs there, so I've had to go back through all the photographs and. I've had to go back to all my diaries because I, I write a diary every day. But with both of those things, I've been so busy. I write the diary. I take the photographs. I haven't looked at them. 
I haven't looked at any of those photographs or reread the diaries. And I've gone back and looked at it all and put the photographs up. And I'm thinking, actually, what I had there was fantastic. You lucky woman. Don't ever underestimate how incredibly lucky you've been. Um, because you had that experience. Don't think about what's lost. Think about, be glad that you had it. And I'm really glad that I had it now. Yeah. If you'd asked me three weeks ago, I probably would have been sobbing over the phone. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The new Plants of Distinction Autumn Catalogue is now available and contains over a thousand different flower and vegetable seeds with over 150 new and exciting varieties added this year alone. Cut flowers in an extensive array of individual colours are a speciality and added to this are many unusual annual and perennial seeds together with the hard to find heritage favourites. So if you're looking for something a little different, be it choice cutting flowers suitable for both fresh and dried arrangements or cottage garden and container growing varieties, you need look no further. You can download or request a copy of the new autumn catalogue by visiting the website plantsofdistinction.co.uk where an exclusive 30% discount is available to all podcast listeners when ordering seeds by using the discount code CUTFLOWER30. We have to change and move, don't we? I think COVID did that to all of us, actually a moment in time and allowed us to step back and it certainly changed my business. And did I pivot my business? Yes, I did. Um, we were weddings, funerals and buckets business, the same as you. And then we thought, right, okay, now what? Um, and so we started training online and doing more online courses and we train flower farmers to be profitable because obviously I've got, I'm being a marketing director and I still fundamentally believe that the growing is just a very small part of it. And unless you build your visibility and build your community, you aren't selling anything. So we're running online courses to flower farmers. We're running online corners to consumers. I want everyone to grow their own cut flowers. I don't care whether you've got some containers at your back door or whether you've got on an, in an apartment and you've got a balcony. It actually doesn't matter what it is. And so that's what I discovered, I suppose, at the beginning of COVID. So it did change me and change my business. And talking about addiction, I am addicted to flower going as a flower farmer. And my daughter is a psychotherapist in the area of addiction. And it's hard for you to have cut that addiction off. It's like, you know, whether you're an anorexic, bulimic, whether you take drugs, do alcohol, they're all addictions. To one day have it and the next day not have it is really tough. Um, and, you know, my daughter would say it's a grieving process actually, of an old process of letting go and changing and becoming something else. But it's amazing. You've had eight years experience of flower growing that no one would ever have. You've now got an online dirt, which people are subscribing to and giving you great feedback to. I could see a book, obviously, that, that maybe you've got a book in your mind coming next, um, because you're obviously a really good writer. What's next? What, what will you do next? Well, I don't know. Do you know what? I'm just enjoying kind of, uh, I'm enjoying not feeling so um, uh, harried, I think is the word, because it's interesting. I've been looking at my fellow growers' uh, Instagrams and they're all ordering their, you know, they're all doing the things that I would normally be doing this January. And yeah, we've just had a really, really bad cold snap. 
and you know you'd probably want to be out pruning the sh- you'd, you'd want to be out doing something because you feel great to be outside anyway you know we all love being outside otherwise we wouldn't do it but there is this sort of compulsion really to be working all the time and that is not a great thing to do and actually I feel quite liberated from that I'm thinking I don't have to order all my dailies I don't have to do this you know the thousands of tasks that you have to do all the way through the year and also let's face it in January you're also thinking okay the season's just about to start and my feet are not going to touch the ground and I will always be a grower. I've been a grower for my whole life and I can't envisage not growing. Okay, these hands have got to be doing something else rather than tapping a keyboard or whatever. But I think I'm I'm resourceful enough to um you know find something else. Um and my daughter, um we're we're looking at different bits of land um at the moment around Durham. I mean, it's not uncomplicated because it's a bit like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, this piece of land is too high. This piece of land is too low. This piece of land is too cold. This piece of land is too hot. So, you know, it needs to be just right. And also, it's good for her because she can then um, kind of take the benefit of all my colossal failures. And I have had way more failures in the last eight years than I've had successes, without doubt. Um, and that's how you learn. You know, if you if you if you only have successes, you just go on and repeat your successes and then you really do become incredibly stale. Whereas actually you've got to learn from failure. I mean, ironically, one of the things that uh has has it been a failure? I'm not quite sure if it's been a failure. Something good has come from it, is the um, you know, the the, the high temperatures and the droughts. The drought that we yeah. had in County Durham, right? This is like the north. It, it always rains in the north. Yeah, always. Now, you guys down in the south had it much worse, but we had a drought for kind of four months. And my daughter, uh, Roisin, who's 28, her background is in kind of um, campaigning about uh, climate change. And, you know, that is very, very important to her, as it is very important to all of us. Now, she'd been a campaigner, okay, and then she was suddenly witnessing it at first hand. And that was profound for her. And we sat down and talked about it. And we said, you know, I said to her, kid, we can't keep doing this Victorian model of growing, right? It's just not going to work because it's 100 odd years out of date. In the eight years that I've been doing this, which is kind of infinitesimal, really, in the grand scheme of things. Eight years ago, in the north of England, I didn't really plant um, any, sorry, I didn't really sow any um, seeds in September annuals because they wouldn't last through the winter. It was too bloody cold. It was really, you know, it was wet. It was just not good conditions. Now, I think you probably, we probably need to plant all our seeds in September because by the time we're putting them out, it's drought time. It's going to be another droughty year again. And it's going to be another yeah. droughty year next year. That's the game we're in. Aren't we? We're watering tulips in February now. We would never have got your hose out and watered tulips in February. What's going on? But also that's not sustainable because the, the margins we operate on are so low. If you're just going to pay out loads and loads of water, that, that, that is not a business. It's not a business. It's a labour of love and it's a hobby. 
and you might as well just pack up and go home um, unless you've got, you know, private income or something. <laughs> but um, so what came out of this is that, you know, we, my daughter and I had lots of long discussions about, and she was saying, well, you know, we've got to change the way of growing. And I was saying, yeah, of course we've got to change the way of growing. But I have to a certain extent. I think we've really got to change it pretty fast now. And um, because the rate of change is so, is so fast. And so out of that, she applied for and was lucky enough to get a Nuffield Farming Scholarship. Um, and, she, and the subject of that is um, working out how the British cut flower industry adapts to a two degree warming world. And as a result of that, she gets to go and look at, uh, at, at sort of flower farms in other areas of the world and how they're adapting, you know, particularly in hot countries and things like that. But also how um, we can maybe work on a more cooperative basis. I mean, we really had to work cooperatively this year because we had to let things die. Right now, flower farms don't let things die. Right, we're we're, we're kind of you know nurtures by nature, and uh, because we couldn't afford to we couldn't afford to water them, um, so we had to watch things die, and then we had weddings to fulfil. Um, but we've got other brilliant flower farmers around here. So we just phoned them up and we said, look, we'll buy off you. And yeah. actually it worked really well. It made the business go round. It was business for everybody. We paid good, fair prices, not like cheap wholesale prices. We paid fair prices um, and we built a good community, another kind of good community. And one of the things that my daughter particularly wants to do is that when she's done this Nuffield Farming Scholarship, which takes about 18 months, she will have a big chunky report and she'll be able to feed back to other growers about how we are going to have to adapt. Because we are. We can't just keep yeah. following this Victorian model. Um, it's just complete. It's outdated now. In five years' time, it's going to be completely defunct. Yeah. I go to the US once a year to the Association of Speciality Cut Flower Growers, which is a mouthful. And I go because I want to learn and I go because they're advanced to us for sure. And obviously have a lot more flower farmers than we have in the UK. And I learn enormously. You go for a conference and you meet lots of people. Firstly, I learned that they are much more collaborative than we are. They are much, they have cooperatives, which are really interesting and about how people can bring all their flowers. And unless we get the supply chain right in the UK from getting our flowers into the hands of florists number one, or getting florists to use more of our flowers, we will never conquer that whole climate and importation and using British because the supply chain currently right now is not set up for it. And that is what I've learned through going to the US that it really, really is about collaboration, cooperation, working together, bringing all your flowers together and selling to market together. And I think that's the way forward. And we've not we've not cracked it no we haven't cracked it we haven't cracked it i first i went to my first flowers from the farm meeting in 2016 and we were talking about that then how do you how do you crack the supply chain issue because there are plenty of florists and especially young florists who are coming through who are who are pretty disillusioned about the fact that you know the the floristry industry can be anything but green um and, and it can be quite dispiriting um, uh, for all kinds of reasons. I don't need to reiterate them to you or anybody listening. I'm sure everybody knows about that. Um, 
And we were talking about that in 2016. And I don't think really we're any further on. I think there are plenty of florists who would really like to use lots of British flowers, but we don't grow, we don't grow enough. Um, we don't collaborate enough. Um, we don't do all those things that we really, really should do. I think quite a lot of people think, quite a lot of growers get maybe a little bit antsy about competition. There is so much work to go around. You really don't need to get worried about competition. If somebody sets up down the road to you, um, embrace them because they're not going to be your competitor because we've got such a tiny market share of the whole kind of floral industry. Embrace them. Get them around for coffee and work out how you can work collaboratively because you really can. And bigger in this respect is better. But the other thing, and I think this has been really made manifest, and I think I'm a kind of exemplar of this, is access to land. I mean, another thing that that I and my daughter want to do is um, we want to find a way, I think, of of, um, matching up people to land, to people who've got land, because there are plenty of people with land. Loads. You only need an acre. Okay, you're not going to be rich, but you can definitely make a living out of an acre. You can two is better. I think you've got five. That's better still. But you can definitely do it. I think anything less than an acre is troublesome, but you can do it. But there is a way. Okay, so when my daughter put out on Twitter in a fit of she she broke her golden rule, which is never go on social media when you're really angry, because you're just just going to be yeah bonkers. You're going to sound bonkers anyway. Um, she will forgive me for saying this because she was incredibly angry about it because everything we work for, and for her, you know, she's 28. This has been this has been two wonderful years for her and suddenly it's axed. That was hard for her, really hard. And, um, and so she went on social media, she went on Twitter and said, um, right, we've just been evicted. Uh, has anyone got any land? Now, this is County Durham. County Durham is poor, okay? It is poor. Um, and the land is rubbish because a lot of it's been mined or open cast or whatever. Um, and uh, within a day, we'd had probably 20 offers. Now, most of those were probably not suitable for us, but they would definitely be suitable for people who were just starting out and not wanting to commit to two acres or something. And yeah. there were loads of really good people saying, I've got this land. Okay, it's a field, it's a paddock or whatever. But that's how I started. I started on a paddock and I made a pretty good living from it. Um, and so there's got to be a way of, of almost kind of mapping out um, available land with, and, and people who would be prepared to uh, rent you a piece of that land. Because let's face it, who wouldn't want a flower? God, who wouldn't want a flower farm on a bit of their land, right? This is County Durham. We've been open cast. So to have flowers where they've been open cast is pretty bloody good, I would say. Um, and you could do that. You could map land and map kind of willing landlords right the way across the country. And people who are coming in who are new to that, um, they could, we could match them up. It'd be like, yeah. you know, sort of Tinder. The flower growers or something because honestly 100% I think that's a goer I think if we crack the supply chain and we crack the land I think you've cracked the UK market honestly I do and, and I think I've set up um, or about to set up the British Cut Flower Association 
as part of the Growers Association, which is like, you know, it's a Growers Association of Mushrooms and Tomatoes, and, and they don't have a cut flower association. But that's more about lobbying to government and talking to DEFRA and looking for grants and trying to find a way to shake this whole industry up. Because at the moment, like you say, it still lives in the Victorian ages. We can't grow today what we grew three years ago, five years ago. And unless we crack that supply chain and we crack the availability to land and security around that, we haven't got an industry. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This podcast episode is sponsored by First Tunnels, leaders in domestic and commercial polytunnels. A polytunnel is an amazing protective environment for plants, vegetables and flowers, extending any growing season. And whether you're growing for pleasure or commercially, whether you go for a small or a large tunnel, you can be assured of the same high quality product from First Tunnels Polytunnels. I personally have three of their polytunnels. Two of them I've had for over 10 years and I highly recommend First Tunnels Polytunnels for their product and also for their great customer service which is second to none. Do pop over to their website and take a look at their range. www.firsttunnels.co.uk No, we haven't got an industry. And actually, we could be one of the industries in this country that could take advantage of climate change, particularly in the north of England. There's no doubt about it. If we're careful about it, we can take advantage of that. So eight years ago, I struggled, I think, to have um, grown, you know, more tender things. Um, And now I can grow tender things and I can overwinter them uh, within eight years. What are we going to be like in another eight years? Um, And so if if we're clever and we're swift about it and you're swift afoot, then we can take advantage of it. And the problem with climate change is that it's so overwhelming. It is tempting just to say, there's just literally nothing I can do. There is yeah, stuff you so can do. So I won't do, do anything. Plenty of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not doing anything is really not an option. Well, it, it, it's a council of despair. And I think anybody who grows things, you, you, you know, we're, we're naturally not like that. You're not going to plant a seed and think, well, I'm not going to look after it because it's not going to do anything anyway. You know, of course you're going to look after it. And I think we could really take advantage of it, but we need to we need to work together on it. Yeah. Um, and there's other things that we need to do, like you know the supply chain, like linking up people with land and and like-minded growers, like um, kind of slightly booting out this you know sort of Victorian growing calendar that we have. One of the things that I learned when I was a, a garden writer for all that time is actually garden designers, really good garden designers, are kind of way ahead where we are. They started adapting for uh, drought. Um, the, the great garden right, well, gardener, and she ran a nursery and garden writer as well, Bath Chatto. I mean, she died well into her 80s. She designed a drought garden on a tennis court at her nursery at a time when we thought we weren't really even thinking about drought. And she, drought? Was, she was so far-sighted. Yeah, drought, what? Drought, we, we thought, oh, drought's great because it means we'll get some sun. You know, that's what we thought until we all came to fear it. Um, and the fact is that she was so far-sighted. She dug up that tennis court and then she planted, you know, all these sort of really drought-tolerant, beautiful plants. And people thought, 
bats. And she wasn't bats. She was really, you know, she was like a prophet. And a lot of, um, from that kind of drought-tolerant garden, a lot of good garden designers then, who were quite young then, went to look at it and thought, actually, I think this is the way forward. And so they're, they're much more advanced in not only what they grow, but the way that they grow. That kind of regenerative gardening process, flower growers could learn a huge amount from that kind of regenerative, you know, regenerative um, kind of approach to horticulture and agriculture. That is definitely the way forward. Wow, there's so much to take on board. If I was going to ask you for three pieces of advice to give a newbie flower farmer, what would it be? Uh, well, from, from my point of view, if you're going to rent land, probably get a good tenancy agreement. Um, that would be my first piece of number advice. Um, yeah, number one. The other thing is that I, I really, you know, I bang on about uh, about collabor- collaboration, but I do think it's really important. You've got to talk to people. You've got to talk to people and learn from people and build up good relationships with people because. You can't do it alone. No. You, apps, you know, through COVID, right, when your business collapsed and all our businesses collapsed, that the thing that kept us going was the local community and actually other fellow flower growers. All those growers, in fact, I'm just about to write about this. When I went to the first Flowers from the Farm AGM in Harrogate in 2016, I didn't know what to expect. Okay. I was, a, I'd been, a lifelong gardener. Um, I had an allotment. I was a, a, a writer. You know, I, I, I thought I knew quite a bit. Actually, what I knew was zero. And I got in there, and these women really did know what they were talking about. Like they did. And I remember thinking, well, a, I thought you are a massive imposter. And uh, the other thing was, I thought these women are good. They know what they're talking about. Now, some of those women I haven't seen since that day. Right. And most of them, because we're all scattered all over the UK, I've seen maybe, I don't know, twice since 2016. But I've kept in contact with every single one of them. And during COVID in particular, when it all went bang, these kind of tiny little messages just appeared on my direct message over Instagram, just saying, keep going, just keep going. And we kind of used to message each other backwards and forwards, just saying, "You, you know, you can do it. And I used to message them saying, it's damn hard, isn't it? But you keep going as well. And we did. I don't think anybody fell out the loop, actually. I think we all kept going. And I think that that is a huge testament to the fact that, you know, without wishing to sound like a a kind of political party and a a political slogan, we are better together. We're always better together. We, It's like united we stand, divided we fall, definitely going to collaborate more we're going to obviously if you rent land you're going to get your tenancy sewn up more and probably if I was going to add a little bit of advice to that I would really think about diversification we'll be thinking about all of your income streams and um and be realistic about what you want your income to be would be the other one um because it's yeah. hard in the beginning really hard and I always say to people well you need to transition into flower farming you can't stop your corporate job on Friday and earn money from flower farming on Monday. It's going to take years to get to the point at which you make a really nice living. So be really mindful of that and what your expectations are of it. But it can be done. Because this weekend I read something in one of the Facebook groups that made me really angry. 
it was actually taken down later on because people were responding to it, which said that you can't make any money as a flower farmer. And I thought that's not no, true. That's... So I responded in my moment of anger, like you said, <laughs> I was on my dashboard going, that is absolutely not true. You can make money, but you've got to be realistic. You've got to have set expectations and it will take time. And if you do all those things and you've got to learn everything there is to learn about marketing, because once you've got social media and you've got your pricing, and you've got your competition, you get it all right, you can make money. Can you make money as a grower with no marketing experience? No. You've got to go and find it or find someone to help you to do it. But that was that made me quite angry. So can you make money as a flower farm? I'd say definitely yes. We did. Both of us did. There were all these other people across the whole United Kingdom who, who was, I don't know how many flower farmers there are in Britain, 1,500, 2,000 would be a guess, maybe even more. They must be making money out of it. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. It's not, it can't be, it can't be a few jam jars at the end of the drive because you can't make enough money. So, yeah, I, that would be my piece of advice. Just really research it and be, be realistic with it. If you were to set up a restaurant, you wouldn't just set up a restaurant and not do any marketing. I mean, you wouldn't, in any other business, you would, you would market it properly. You do your research, you do your homework. Yeah. I mean, the fact is that you can make a living, right? You can make a living. You're not going to be, um, you're not going to be living in a massive house, and, uh, you know, but that doesn't matter because actually you've got a job. Uh, which keeps you fit, which keeps you mentally alert, which keeps your head in the game, which most people would think was highly enviable. I mean, in the last eight years, I've got to work with um, members of my family who are, are gorgeous. I've got to work with both of my daughters, my partner. Um, I've got to work with my friends. I've met um, so many gorgeous, uh, I mean, fantastic volunteers that I've had, fantastic volunteers who are, who yeah, are sort of still with me and still my friends. Um, through COVID, I met uh, an amazing group of people. I, I, I count myself so lucky. And I've, you know, and I've made a living as well. I've made a living. I've made a good living. And I've been happy. Yeah. Um, you either need to treat it as a job or you need to be honest and say it's a hobby. At the onset, really, is this a hobby where I'm going to sell a few, but I'm going to carry on with my job? Or is this a serious job that I'm going to transition in? It's something I've always wanted to do. And the two are really different. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we love it, don't we? We carry on. So finding dirt, I'm obviously going to subscribe. I'm going to put it in the show notes so people can find it, Caroline. It'd be intriguing. Having been a writer, you have so much talent and so much to give. I'm going to follow you with absolute passion. And I'm going to follow your daughter, too, because I want to see where her project goes. I'd be interested to sort of if you develop something on land or getting people land, let me know. I have I'm really fortunate to have built a community of 30,000 flower growers now. It's quite big. Um, through lots of Facebook groups and podcasting, writing books, and you know, you would expect from a marketing background, of course, that's what I'm good at doing. And so we can share knowledge, we can try things, you know, all of those people, you know, lots of them would want to rent land. And if you wanted to take a focus group of people who wanted to do it, just let me know. Um, I think what you're doing is amazing. I think you've managed to turn your life around, which is why I found it quite intriguing when I found you on Instagram. That it was intriguing, which is why I reached out and thought, what you've done is amazing. And people need to know that flower farming, A, is hard. B, you can turn it into something else. C, it's probably the most rewarding thing you'll ever do in your life. D, you'll make loads of friends and loads of contacts that you'll stay with forever. 
I mean, it's just so much that it gives you that um, it's amazing. I think it's amazing. So it's really, I mean, I've met you, Caroline, now. I've met you and I look forward to subscribing to your dirt and keeping in touch with you now um, and finding out what, what comes next for you. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. It is exciting. I think, I think that's, the, that's the thing. When I started writing dirt, I thought it was the end of the story. And actually, it's not the end of the story. In a way, it's the beginning. Massive and that's beginning. really, that's really good. And I think to be feeling, I'll be honest with you, to be feeling this good about life at the beginning of uh, the fourth week of January in a cold <laughs> North Pennine winter is pretty good. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. So thank you, Caroline, for coming over to join us. Our listeners, I know, won't wait to get this episode. This is amazing. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And like I say, all of your contact details will be in the show notes. And let's stay in touch. That would be amazing. Well, thanks, Ros. Thanks for reaching out to me. And, I, and I've really enjoyed <laughs> talking about it, as you can probably tell. But uh, no, it's been good. It's been good. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. I look forward to next week's episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate and review on your podcast app. We do have some wonderful free resources on our website at thecutflowercollective.co.uk. We also have two free Facebook communities, which we'd love you to join. For farmers or those who want to be flower farmers, we have Cut Flower Farming, Growth and Profit in Your Business. And our other free Facebook group is Learn with the Cut Flower Collective for those starting out on their flower journey. All of the links are below. I look forward to getting to know you all.